Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. How many of you remember the Verizon commercials where there was the actor who would always ask the question, Can you hear me now? Sometimes he would pop up in a bustling city like New York City and he would say, can you hear me now? Other times he'd be in a giant arena, a sports arena, and he'd ask the question, can you hear me now? Sometimes he would be out in the forest, sometimes he'd be in a home, sometimes he'd even be like in a, a drainage ditch or a gutter and he'd pop up through that manhole and he would say, can you hear me now? That is probably one of the most successful taglines in the history of marketing, in my opinion. And I ranked that one right up there with the little old lady from the Wendy's commercials. You have to be kind of old to remember this little old lady, but she was in a, it was like a courtroom and she was was, she was really small, and the judge's bench was really tall, and she has this hamburger bun, and the bun is huge, but the patty is about that big in the middle of that patty. And she looks up at that judge, and she goes, where's the beef? Now, remember that commercial? Man, that, that's just, I, I just think that's one of the greatest taglines in history. Here's what marketing campaigns do. They suck us in, don't they? They get us saying over and over that tagline. Within our passage this morning, Jesus is going to tell his listeners, he's going to say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Yesterday morning at our men's breakfast, I shared with our men some um, famous sayings that our moms have said to us. And the things that they have taught us, our moms taught us about medicine. Believe it or not, our mom said, if you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to stick that way, right? You remember that? They taught us about genetics. You are just like your father. They taught us about roots. Do you think you were born in a barn? Our mothers taught us about anticipation, like this one. Just wait until your father gets home. They taught us about religion. You better pray that comes out of the carpet. And then they also taught us about justice. One day you will have kids, and I hope they turn out just like you. Right? I know that my mom loved that one. This morning, we're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we looked at the man that Jesus declared as being the greatest man ever born of a woman, John the Baptist. I love Matthew chapter 11, 11. Jesus makes this declaration about John the Baptist. He says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. When you think about the profoundness of that statement, all of those in attendance that day must have been blown away. When you think about that passage of Scripture, what Jesus is telling all of those in attendance is that John the Baptist was greater than Father Abraham, that he was greater than Moses. He was greater than Elijah. He was greater even than King David. Greater than the prophet Isaiah, Jeremiah. He was greater than Daniel. He is greater than the three Hebrew children that were delivered from the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was greater than all of these people. 
And if you recall, he made that declaration right after John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus. And John had a question. John had doubts about whether or not Jesus indeed was the Messiah. In Matthew eleven two through 3, we read these words. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? John had been in a prison cell for, for about a year or more. He had been in prison because of his radical preaching. He preached against the immorality that was happening within King Herod's family. And as a result of that, King Herod sentences him to prison. He would have killed him on the spot had he not feared the repercussion of such an act. Instead of uh, putting him to death right away, what he did was he put him in prison knowing that over time the people would eventually forget about him. So he throws him in prison knowing that in, in time he would be able to put him to death. But for now, he's going to let John remain in prison, let those people that followed him forget about him. Within that prison, something began to happen to John. John begins to question everything he knew to be true. And you ask yourself, how can a man like John the Baptist that was present the day that Jesus was baptized, in fact, he immersed Jesus into the Jordan River, brought him up out of that water. And he saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove from heaven. He heard God the Father speak that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. How could a man like that doubt the Messiah? As we looked at a couple of weeks ago, that's what prisons do to us. When we find ourselves in a physical prison or a mental prison or an emotional prison or a spiritual prison, over time we too have a tendency to doubt. What did John do though? John didn't give up. He sent his disciples to Jesus and he wanted confirmation from Jesus that he was indeed the Messiah. And that is exactly what Jesus did. Sent word back by his disciples that he was indeed the Messiah. He quoted from um, prophetic scriptures, and that satisfied John. Nowhere else in scripture do we see John doubting. And that leads us into this morning's message. This morning, we're going to see Jesus address the crowd after John the Baptist's disciples leave and return to John. Or to, yeah, to John. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 24 this morning. Matthew chapter 11, verses 11 through 24. And this is what God's Word says. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he was, has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. 
Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For, it is the, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable or tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning just once again thanking you for the privilege of gathering together to worship you this morning and gathering around your word. Father, I know that this message this morning is a difficult one, not only to preach, but also to hear. Father, you spoke directly to the heart of men. And Father, we pray this morning that you will speak directly to us. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Like much of Matthew... We find Jesus right here speaking directly to the heart of man. He speaks directly to us today, just as he spoke some 2,000 years ago. Both John and Jesus preached a radical message, didn't they? They preached a message of repentance and a message of anticipation for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Understand this. This has never changed. To refuse repentance is to reject Christ. Jesus this morning will speak some very difficult words to the people in attendance that day. And he will speak of the consequences for their unrepentance. Notice point number one this morning. It is kingdom opposition. Notice the kingdom opposition. In verse 12 we read, for the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Notice this. The gospel evokes strong reactions. The gospel evokes strong reaction. Here's what time has shown us. The kingdom of heaven advances. When that happens, opposition occurs. That was true during Jesus' day, and that is equally true during our day as well. Every single day, as the gospel advances through places like Asia and Europe, In the Middle East, there are believers that are losing their life. They are being martyred because they are not bowing to the knee of man and repenting and renouncing the name of Jesus. Every single day, people are martyred for their faith. Why are they being martyred? Because Scripture is very clear. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. When you and I advance the gospel, we preach the exclusivity of the gospel. There are going to be people that are going to deny and reject the gospel, aren't they? Every single day that is going to happen. For John, there had been a very short gap between the beginning of his ministry and this particular day in which Jesus made these 
remarks. Some year and a half probably has, has, has occurred from the beginning of John's ministry up until this point. In that time, great opposition has arisen against the message that both Jesus and John preached. John is in a prison cell and he would soon be executed. Jesus will soon go to the cross and be crucified. Jesus's message was not popular. Our message today is not popular either. At every corner, the message of Christianity is being rejected. It is being rejected by man. It is being rejected by different religions. It is being rejected. Just like our message is being rejected today, the gospel has always been rejected throughout the history of of the world. You think about... um, the, the, the gospel was rejected during Abraham's day, during Moses' day, during King David's day, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and during the days of Jesus. The gospel has been rejected. People do not like to be told that the way that they are living is in opposition to God's word. People are either going to choose to believe this word or they are going to choose to reject this word. Every single day, people are brought to the point of decision. Notice that the gospel is made available to all people. In verses 13 through 15, we read, For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. Then if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. All of God's previous revelations about the arrival of the Messiah concluded with John the Baptist. MacArthur states everything from Genesis to Malachi to John moved history toward Jesus Christ the Messiah. The prophets of old preached of the coming of Jesus. John, though, not as the literal Elijah, but in the spirit of Elijah, was the final herald to announce the arrival of the Messiah. The final one to announce the arrival of King Jesus. The message he preached was not a message that was received well. It was rejected by most people. The message of Jesus is a message that is not received by all people, is it? As much as I wish that every single person I've ever shared the gospel with, as much as I wish that they would have become Christ followers, the reality is that is not the case. But that does not negate the fact that Jesus still died for every man, every woman, every student, every child that has ever walked the face of this earth. John three sixteen, God's word says, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to provide salvation to all who would choose to believe in him. And if you are not a believer this morning, let me ask you this question. What is keeping you from turning from this world and turning to Jesus? Notice our second point this morning. It's this. Notice Jesus' generation. Notice what Jesus says about his generation. In verses 16 and 17 we read, no, But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces. And calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. Think about that statement. Jesus is not talking 
to children here. He's talking to grown men who act like children. When the men should be working in the market, when the men should be out working in the field, when the men should be taking care of their families, they're sitting around and they're playing games. Not only are they playing games, but they can't even decide upon what games that they're going to play. A couple of different writers that I came across this week compared the games that they played to a wedding ceremony or to a funeral. And so they're playing wedding. And they're saying, okay, I want you to be the groom. I want you to be the bride. And I will be the priest. And they couldn't agree on who's going to play the priest or the bride or the groom, or it's like them playing funeral. And it would, and, and they're, they, they gather together and they're trying to figure out, okay, who's going to play dead? It'd be like me telling Justin, Justin, hey, I want you to run down to the local funeral home, pick up the, out the nicest casket there, and I want you to bring it here, and I want you to get inside that casket, and you're going to play dead. I mean, that's kind of what they were doing. They were playing games, morbid games at that. And they could not agree upon what they were doing. Jesus' generation was indecisive. They were not committed to what they should be committed to. I think all of us in this room would agree that we are a generation, much like Jesus' generation. We like to sit around and we like to play games. We like to play games instead of investing in our family and instead of teaching them how they can grow in the grace and knowledge of God the Father. As I was preparing for this message, I thought to myself, how would Jesus address this generation if he was here with us today? He'd probably address it quite similar to this generation, that we just like to play games. And the games that we try to play, we can't even agree. We are a generation that is never satisfied. When you look back on the history of this great country, you see generation after generation full of men and women that have impacted this great land. But when you look back at the generations, let's say there's six living generations today. The, the first of those generation is quickly dying off, but there are still six living generations today. When you think about the generations, time as time has gone by, you've seen a moral decline with every single generation. The GI generation, that's the generation that was born between 1901 and 1926. This generation, they are the children of, of World War I vets, and they became the fighters during World War II. Their depression was the great one. Their war was the big one. Their prosperity was legendary. They saved the world, and they built a nation. Great generation. The next generation, the mature, silent generation, those born between 1927 and 1945. This is a generation that was committed to the family unit. Said of this generation that they married for life. This next generation is the baby boomers. 1946 to 1964, this is the free love generation, the Woodstock generation. The next generation is my generation, Generation X, those born between 1965 and 1980. We're called the latchkey kids. 
because we used to wear a key around our necks because both of our parents worked and we would always come home after school to an empty house. The next generation is Generation Y, those born between 1981 and 2000. This is the instant gratification generation, the MTV generation, and this generation definitely is a more tolerant generation. Then there's Generation Z, those born between 2001 and today. This is the post-911 generation, the most recent to experience a, a recession. They have never known life without technology. You know, as you look back over these six generations, one thing that we know is that morally our country has declined with each and every generation. During the silent generation, they married for life. During Generation X, marries later and they divorce quicker. Marriage is no longer sacred. God clearly defined gender in the Bible. Homosexuality is accepted by more than 50% of all evangelicals. Our government a couple of years ago redefined what God clearly defined when it comes to marriage. In Canada, this is, has just happened at the beginning of July. There is a family fighting for their child to receive a genderless birth certificate. While they have not won that fight yet, they did receive a baby's health card in the mail. And instead of an M for male or an F for female, they got a U for undecided, I guess. The lawyer has argued on behalf of this transgender family. Certainly, our culture is obsessed with whether a baby is a boy or a girl. But the government doesn't have any business certifying that information when they don't know it to be true. And that, that's happening in Canada right now. I, I, I saw an article yesterday that the Planned Parenthood has put out that also declares that, that a, a, a baby can be born, born genderless in the sense that they don't know if they are male or female. I thought our anatomy was clearly defined whenever God created Adam and Eve and subsequently each and every one of us in this room. Not only was Jesus' generation never satisfied, but also notice this about his generation. They were always criticizing. In verses 18 through 19, we read this. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her. Her deeds. Think about the hypocrisy and the judgment directed at both Jesus and John. The people criticized John because of his aesthetic lifestyle, because he lived more of a monastic lifestyle, because his diet was kind of messed up. He ate um, locust and wild honey. And because of, of his radical message that he preached, they claimed that he had a demon within him. Jesus, on the other hand, was not afraid to eat with sinners and to drink with sinners. Jesus met people where they were, and he loved on them and ministered to them. He was not afraid to get in proximity of them. Remember when we walked through um, earlier in the book of Matthew that Jesus literally touched the leper who was deemed unclean by the religious people. He healed the blind. He made the lame to walk. He raised the dead and he exercised demons. Everyone that the Jews declared as being unclean 
or outcasts or nobodies, Jesus reached out and touched, ministered to, and loved on them. So what did the religious leaders say about Jesus? That Jesus is a drunkard. The people could not deny what Jesus was doing. So they had to be critical and make excuses and try to sway the people claiming that Jesus Christ indeed was a lunatic. You know, when you think about criticism within the, the Christian world or within the church, I will say that probably some of the most critical things that I've ever heard out of a person's mouth have not come from an unbeliever, but a believer. We are so quick to criticize. You know, when you think about just life in general, you know, I wish that I could make every single one of you happy week in and week out, but the reality is, as your pastor, I can't do that. I wish that I could make Connor and Caitlin happy every single day, but the reality is, as their parents, sometimes discipline has to happen, and I can't do that. We may not be able to make everyone happy, But the most important thing is this. Are we living our lives in accordance with God's word? Are we striving to live righteously? Are we striving to live holy? Are we striving to be more and more like Jesus Christ every day? If we are, then we can make the very declaration that Jesus made some 2,000 years ago whenever he said this. Yet wisdom is justified by deeds. In the end... The truth will always justify itself by what it produces. Let us be a church. Let us be a faith family. Let us be men and women that produce good fruit through our good deeds and through our good works. Our final point this morning is this. Notice Jesus' warning. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. Because they did not repent. He said, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sidon, Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. You know, Jesus begins here and he denounces three cities, Chorazin, Capernaum, and Bethsaida. Why did he denounce the very cities that he spent much of his time in, healing and performing many miracles? The people within these cities were given a tremendous glance of God in the flesh, weren't they? They witnessed Jesus demonstrate his authority over disease, over natural disasters, over demons, over sin, over salvation, and over death. Yet they continued not to believe. They continued to live an unrepentant life. And because of that, Jesus gives them a warning. Notice the warning of judgment. Because they did not repent, Jesus says this, woe to you. The people of these cities, both religious leaders and the citizens, had a front row seat of God the Father in the flesh, 
dwelling amongst them. They had the privilege of, of Jesus Christ walking their streets and doing life with them on a daily basis for some years. But because of their hardness of heart, because of their unwillingness to repent, Jesus said to them, woe to you. You know, I've had the privilege a few different times to go to Israel. And I've gone to the city of Chorazin, and I've gone to the city of Capernaum. Haven't been to Bethsaida because they don't know exactly where that place is. But you'll notice up here on the screen that that is what Chorazin looks like today. That is where the synagogue once stood. The next one is Capernaum. All you see there is a tourist site. You see rocks placed upon rocks. Destruction came to those cities because those cities were unwilling to repent of their sin. During Jesus' days, those were bustling cities. They had markets, they had city centers, they had places of entertainment, and they had a synagogue, a place of worship. What happened? Jesus cursed those cities and the inhabitants within because they did not repent. Jesus said destruction would come, and guess what? Destruction did come. The people within these cities were given an opportunity to repent. Over and over they were given that opportunity, but time and time again they chose not to repent. The same is true for every single one of us in this room. We have been given ample opportunity to repent and to believe. And if we do not then destruction and judgment will come to us as well. One writer shares this illustration. He tells a story about how in 1984, a Boeing jet crashed into the side of a mountain in Spain. Investigators, once they found that black box, they studied it and they listened to the audio on it. They made an eerie discovery. The black box had it in it a voice recorder which recorded the final minutes before impact. What they heard was an automated recording of the plane's automatic warning system say, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up. Then astoundingly, the voice of the pilot was heard snapping back, shut up, gringo, and he turned off that voice recorder And within a matter of minutes, that plane crashed into the side of that mountain. All of us have been given ample warning to repent, to repent, to repent. Notice this. Judgment is unavoidable. Jesus is making it clear in this passage that we have read this morning that there will be a day of judgment. All of us will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due for, um, what, is due for what has been done in the body whether good or bad. 
all of us one day will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For the believer, we will receive our reward because we have placed our faith in Jesus and repented of our sins and we were covered with his grace. For an unbeliever, though, they will receive judgment. And that judgment will come down in the end. Jesus will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And they will spend an eternity in a real, literal place called hell. I want you to know this morning that God is a God of love. When we look at the next section of our scripture, Matthew chapter 11, 25, um, and following, we are going to read of God's love. In the midst of those verses in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus is going to tell this group of people. He's going to say, come to me, all you who are, who are weary, and I will give you rest. Jesus spoke and preached a radical, tough, hard message. But in the end, Jesus made it abundantly clear that he loved every single person that he spoke to. But in the end, though, in the end, God does love, but God also gave every single one of us in this room free will. Every single one of us, he gave the ability to choose to believe in Jesus or to choose not to believe in Jesus. For those who believe, they will spend eternity with Jesus. For those who choose not to believe, they will spend eternity in hell. Judgment will come. Jesus will be forced one day to judge all who have chosen to reject. When it is time to judge, how will you be judged? Will you receive a reward because you've repented and placed your faith in Jesus and received his covering of grace? Or will you hear the words, depart from me, for I never knew you? Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus' generation was never satisfied, and they were slow to believe, and many chose not to repent. And as a result, destruction came. May we be known not as a generation that does not believe, but may we be known as a generation that have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we repented, and we follow after Jesus every single day being made into a disciple, and going along our daily life making disciples. You may be here this morning, and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you do not know where you would spend eternity. If that is you, then this morning I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning. You've been visiting this church a while, and the Lord is leading you to become a member. We welcome you to become a member of this great church. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And, and if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, acknowledging that every single day 
we fall short. But Lord Jesus, we thank you for the covering of grace that you have provided for every believer in this room. Father, I know in a room this size that there may be some here that have never placed their faith and trust in you. They have never repented. They have never turned from their old life to become a disciple of you. And Lord, if there are some in this room this morning that have not done that, I pray, Lord Jesus, that today they will make the greatest decision that they could ever make. Lord Jesus, on a day like today, Father, we ask that you will just show up during our time of invitation. Father, there's some here this morning that have been visiting this church, and this is the day that you are leading them to become a member. Father, we welcome them to be a part of this great church. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.